the future of photography. Hello and welcome everyone to yet another episode of the future of photography. Uh, here's a voice you haven't heard in a while. It's Chris Marquardt. And of course, with me are a few others, including Jeremiah. Hello. I am here. Hi. And Adrian. Hello. Hey, good to speak to you. It's been a while. Yeah. Unfortunately, Imer uh, couldn't make this one, but uh, she'll be back in uh, soon in another episode. So, um, yeah, I've returned from countries far away. I've been to Siberia and I couldn't be on the show for a while, but I uh, I noticed that you had the, the episodes coming regularly, so... Uh, Yes, we've done our we've done our best to to hold the fort while you've been away. Um, uh, I've listened to every single one of them, so I mean, <laughs> what, you've done. What were we done. saying? <laughs> you want you want a word by word? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, actually, no. I, actually, I feel we banished you to Siberia. That always feels no, good. To you say know, that. you know, it it wasn't that. It, you know, so I, okay. So there's this uh, picture in people's minds. Uh, the 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 gulag in Siberia <laughs> and, and you're being banished there. Um, Siberia is a very interesting country or a very interesting part of Russia. We, um, we've been there in temperatures. I mean, the lowest we had was about minus four Fahrenheit, minus 20 something Celsius during the night, very dry, cold uh, during the daytime. It went to minus five Celsius. So it wasn't that, bad in terms of temperature um siberia also happens to be like this uh, irkutsk uh, along the the along the uh edge coast right uh, along the coast of of lake baikal is the center of uh russian uh flight in space so it's actually a very very developed place Uh, lots of smart people there and uh, in summer, it can get really hot. We're talking plus forty Celsius. Um, wow! Temperatures in the in the uh, well uh, beyond the nineties almost. And in winter, it can go as low as minus forty or even colder, which is the same in Celsius. Sound, sounds like where I'm from. A huge Having... swing, a huge swing, and that means yeah. that the that the that the uh, the lake Lake Baikal, which is what we visited. Um, is is freezes over reliably every year, sometime early January, and then it stays frozen till uh, March, April, sometimes into May. And how deep is it? Well, it's 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 a mile deep in the center, and it holds. It's it's a it's a lake of superlatives. It holds twenty percent of the world's liquid fresh water. So it's amazingly clear. Someone told me once that. In summer, when you're on the lake in a boat, you can, uh, if you drop a coin into the water from a, from a boat, you can see it, you can watch it sink for a minute. Wow. So <clears throat> there's some microorganisms there that are endemic to the lake. There's some fauna there, some fish that are endemic to the lake. Uh, it's really clean. And that also reflects in, in winter because... Uh, you have these 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 abstract ice formations. I mean, ice freezes in layers. We're talking three to five foot thick ice, so it's perfectly fine to even drive a big truck on. Um, and it freezes in layers, and the, these layers 
are all clear but independent of each other and then there's shrinkage and expansion of the ice and then cracks form and some ice gets pushed up and sometimes wind gets in those cracks and flips big shards of ice over and so you have these glass clear triangular shards like three foot high shards standing up in front of you so it's it's not that it's not that like one big flat surface as you would expect from a frozen uh, lake like that. It is quite bumpy. It is quite uh, quite interesting Text, to drive texture, over it. Textured sounds amazing. Sounds amazing. Do you know what we we um, we launched the 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 future photography Instagram channel while you were away? So you're going to have to get some of the photos that you took. I will. It. I will. I will. Yes. 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 <laughs> I I just couldn't couldn't get to it while I was gone, but. Um, I certainly will do that. I've I've actually recorded podcasts while I was there, but uh, for that other show that I do for Tips from the Top Floor, I just on the on the iPhone just some slices of of uh, uh, life there. I'll uh, we'll we'll put a few links to those in the show notes so you can get a bit of a firsthand live live there uh, experience kind of. Excellent. Were you so, taking for formal um, landscape shots that what? The group was doing or more abstract shots of oh, ice formations everything i mean uh, for for some of those you definitely want something where you include people vehicles buildings just things to show you the sheer scale of things i mean if you if you take a picture of this big frozen surface and and there is this tiny little speck on it, which on closer inspection turns out to be a huge truck that kind of snaps the snaps the relationship of things into perspective. But then there's a lot of uh, a lot of uh, abstract stuff to add. Um, if you go to okay, there's a link uh, tfttf.com slash baikalpix tfttf.com slash b a i k a l p i c s which is a link to a Flickr album um, that'll give you an idea of the kind of things you you see there. Um, and I tried a good mix of the abstract side of things, but um, even some street photography in some of the villages there, because local culture, local uh, just just things that you that are that are different from home are kind of really interesting to look at. How is the gear in in the cold? Easy, simple, no problem. The, the I mean, you you want you want to have the batteries. Uh, batteries when cold will uh, they, they won't have less energy. They just won't be able to provide it to the camera. So uh, you you want to keep a spare battery and in, in inside pockets so you can swap them out and then you can go tandem ping pong between those two batteries. I remember uh, when, when we would shoot uh, film on, on big ice flows in the deep north, uh, we would, um, changing a <laughs> you'd never bring a lens inside, inside a car, inside a truck. Um, it was one of the, the main issues that uh, very, very inexperienced camera assistants would go like, oh yeah, yeah. I'm just going to bring this in then the lens would be covered with condensation and I mean, the condens you couldn't that, wipe it. That's what happens. And, and we, when we were in and out of cars a lot. So, um, if, if you, if you stay outside long enough and the, and the gear cools down enough, then you go back in the car and yeah. it, it fogs up from the outside and, and 
which isn't that much of a, of a, of a problem because the next stop, the camera will, will be warm enough again, or if you go back out, it will defog quite quickly because it's a really dry cold there. So that, um, that plays in your favor. Never really had an issue with that. I mean, a bit of fogging up, yes, but then you're in the car and you don't need the camera in the car other than maybe checking your last few shots. So <clears throat> it, it's it's this interesting experience between lots of abstract photography, uh, but also all the all the cultural things that you see there. Because I mean, people people dress differently. People be do different things they go shopping in a different way um kids play in a different way there are different buildings just different habits and everything uh in the end of course if you if you sit with with a local at a, at a table and and have a have a drink and and some food then everyone turns out to be fairly similar people have same motivations everywhere um but of course, uh, all those all those nuances are different, and uh, that's kind of the thing I wanted to to bring up on today's episode. Is <clears throat> um, it's it's more of a question: Is it possible to, to on on something like a photo tour to capture the essence of another culture? Well, that's a big uh, question. It's a simple good. one, right? Well, uh, you have you have to start at the beginning, and you have to say, well, what am I trying to capture? Yep. I mean, you know, what's the essence of a culture? <laughs> and, and that's that's kind of in, as, for, for me. That's a really interesting thing because over over uh, the years I've been on this planet, I have lived in different places, uh, in different cultures. Um, now, admittedly, not too far from here in Germany. I've I've lived in Ireland. I've lived around uh, different places um, in Europe, ever so briefly. And uh, every time you end up living in a different culture, and if if you condense that into a two week thing, then the question is: Is that even possible? Um, and I th I think well, the first thing is expectation versus reality, because we all go to a different place with some preconceived notions, even though having traveled a lot those preconceived notions get significantly reduced because I, the, the one thing I've learned is every time I go somewhere, whatever I, whatever image I have in my mind will be shattered because it will be different than I expected it. So I, I, I agree. I think that's why one likes to travel is to have those expectations shattered. You know, I think that's part of the, the discovery process because if if it was just reinforced it would not be that interesting um but if it's if it's similar but new if it's completely unexpected if it's something you've never seen before or if it's a version of what you've seen before taken to another level it really really puts you in the present which is really i think what photography is about in terms of the practice of it the, the practice of it and, and kind of swapping that outside view with an inside view. Um, the other experience that I had is that w when I do these photo tours, I it's, it's, it's hotels. You stay in hotels. That's just what you do. But the most bang for the buck in terms of immersion, in terms of cultural immersion, I've always gotten through something like Airbnb. 
where you will stay in someone's house. You will have contact with locals normally. It's uh, much less of a hotel situation, much more of a um, sitting at someone else's table kind of situation. And that is that really what what made uh, staying in New Zealand really, really uh, amazing because I have a much better understanding. I don't fully understand it, but I have a much better understanding of the New Zealand culture um, since uh, I've traveled that way. <clears throat> Same is true for Ireland. It's too bad Imar isn't here, but <laughs> we, we've done this this three week uh, private tours out for our for ourselves in Ireland, and we've stayed in places uh, right down to somewhere in the middle of nowhere cottage with um, with a peat fire in <laughs> in the fireplace. Um, so. That's that's really interesting um, to find a way to to immerse yourself to stay with locals. Yeah, I I I agree. I mean, I've had very similar experiences, um, specifically traveling in in West Africa, in Senegal during the kind of the the, the process of uh, in Tuba, where everybody comes, similar to Mecca Medina. And you have a tiny little village way out in the in near or towards the border of Mauritania. There's nothing around there except a massive mosque, uh, and people generally are speaking Wolof or many French, but not many people live there. Maybe three thousand people in the, you know, in the outskirts. And then over this Ramadan period, three million people come. Wow, and uh, you know, <laughs> you're in the 13th century, but uh, you're just a fish in the sea there. That's, it sounds really yeah. challenging to, to, I mean, to, to all of this stuff to get uh, a cultural or get a handle on, on the culture. Um, yeah. I think difficult for, to take pictures. Yeah. Well, that's that. That was a, I think was, was one of the points I, I was I was thinking trying to think through, which is that. You know, uh, whilst I, I I'm not as experienced a travel photographer perhaps as you guys, you know, uh, you know, it is often creates a barrier to point a big camera at somebody, doesn't it? You know, um, so may, maybe there's a a bit about you know to get to know the culture. Maybe you do have to immerse yourself in it first for a uh, for a while and, and and not have your your camera front and center as the first mm -hmm. thing that you do. Mm -hmm. the, the, camera, think, yeah. the camera matters. That's that's another thing. Um, because with a camera, especially with like a big DSLR and, and long lenses, you create a, kind of an imbalance of power, right? Because you are behind the big gun. And if you, if you want to pick out someone at 300 millimeters, then they will, probably won't even know that you took their photo. Uh, so what I try to do is shrink, shrink the equipment and go more wide angle because that levels the playing field. You have to get closer in to people. You give them a chance to interact with you. You give them a chance to even notice that you're taking photos of them. And uh, and this way I've had some some really meaningful interactions with people because then <clears throat> you can you can even if you don't speak the language you can with a with a wave with a nod you can uh, get even permission to take the photo uh, and then you, and then you can give something back by sharing that photo back to them on the display of the camera uh, <laughs> I remember when I was there with with Monica in in Ethiopia um, 
that, that was kind of the norm. You you take a picture of someone, they they know you've taken the picture. They come over, they want to see the picture. That's that, that's the protocol today. Uh, and Monica shot the entire tour on her Pentax six by seven. All right, so so no instant gratification then. No instant gratification whatsoever. A film camera, and. Uh, she often had uh, disappointed faces when they looked at the back of her camera and couldn't see the photo. So, but but that's 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 one thing I noticed is um, if you if you if you can use that as a tool to create uh, situations where you interact, because that interaction is always going to 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 get you closer to the thing. I have a um, question for both of you. Uh, do you think that the, the um, nature of of the iPhone, which is just amazing in quality now, but it feels very unthreatening, yes. uh, al- allows us that kind of easier interaction than ever before? I do, personally. I, I, I found that sometimes I want to take a really formal shot, I mean formal for me, um, and I can get close, and it has a wide-angle lens, and and I, I I just a nod in an iPhone doesn't put you in the gear world of a sports photographer, you know, like trying to steal something from people when they're surreptitiously photographed. So I I agree that a wide-angle lenses and get close or con- contextualize. And building the relationships is the most important thing if you're shooting people or, or, or cities. You want to engage in a relationship. And I think that uh, wide-angle lenses and non-threatening devices can put you closer and uh, allow you to kind of strike up conversations and share images. I'm 100% with you on that one because the the smartphone is for many cultures on this planet, especially in third world countries, is the de facto computer that people have. Yeah. And uh, so so everyone everyone knows that thing in one way or another. And uh, the fact that it's not just a camera, but it's also your image sharing device, your yeah, uh, your here's my family, let me show you my family device. That that does. It, that forms an instant connection when you even if you don't speak the language you can show them a picture of of your significant other of your kids of your house of your place of your garden whatever um and they will instantly know what this is about because those are the people that are important to you and yeah. you share them with them and and that that, that builds that instant report like an instax picture <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it, all of these things that can, yeah can 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 give people uh, a chance to see the image uh, are, are great. I mean, I I think uh, I I often don't uh, don't take many photos with my phone um, because just purely really for the ergonomics of it. Um, you know, as, as far as the ergonomics of a phone as a camera, um, it, it, it for me they don't, just don't work. Um, but having a very small digital point and shoot, which still has a screen on the back, um, it actually um, can, can have a, a similar effect. Clearly, you don't store quite so many images on it and they're not so easy to find. But, um, you know, I find that, you know, you can... Uh, 
I, I, I certainly work, work better with a, a dedicated camera, but just in a really small form factor. Yeah, it is. It, I, I do wonder in some, some ways, you know, sort of what is the future of photography in terms of these things? Because, you know, up until, I don't know, let's say the mid 1990s, cameras weren't very big. Um, and it was around that time, I suppose, that you started getting quite um, you know, top of the line cameras for shooting you know, Olympic sports and things started to get big and lenses got to get you know, started to get a lot bigger. Um, but but most people were shooting with little 35 mil cameras, either point and shoots or SLRs or, or range finders. And, and they were fairly small and discreet. Um, you know, so some of today's modern cameras are just enormous. Um, but e- happily, some of today's modern cameras actually can be really small if you get like a uh, a little, you know, micro four thirds camera with a with a, with a little lens. You can still you can be very unthreatening, I think. And that's going to be for me. Um, uh, I, I, I've experienced exactly what you were talking about, Chris, which is that, you know, to have smaller kit is definitely definitely breaks down the barriers and makes makes it easier. Does it does it allow me to capture the culture? Uh, I don't know. I think often capturing the culture requires uh maybe two things one putting the camera down for one thing and 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 looking to to seek to understand the place a bit and and secondly local local knowledge often when uh when i travel uh, even if it's just you know a, a short family trip um we will book a, a local tour guide to show us around the place a bit and and just to get a, a feel for it and understand it a li- little bit more and i find that's really interesting i mean i know you, chris when you're traveling you you always have tour guides that locally anyway don't you oh that's kind of a must um the, it's i i think two two things for me are 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 really Im- important and that is locals again as i said the other thing is to just familiarize yourself at least superficially with the language and get uh, the bare basics down to say thank you to ask for something to um to count a few numbers just and it's not just help going to help you to get around it's also another uh, rapport builder because the moment you speak a few words in most languages with most cultures they will appreciate it and they will open up more Sure. After they finish laughing at, <laughs> well, which which is <laughs> but, totally which is, fine by too. By the way, that no, and that's that's the shared moment. I think what yes. we're talking about is the value of travel photography, um, especially. I'm not talking about landscape, but uh, let's call it travel street human, you know, um, capture cultural capture yeah. Yeah. Um, is really about sharing the images, both with the subjects and with the world because it enables the subjects to feel significant and and important and and everyone power right balance yes everyone wants to feel significant and you know in the small way and and i think you know uh, sharing photos uh is one way and a very important way to do it uh i'll tell you a, a story that uh when i was you know, kind of just a few years into my professional career as a photographer, um, I was experimenting with things as I do. Uh, Polaroid uh, sent me a very early SX70 uh, to play with and just scads of film. Uh, and this was because I was using some of the four by five, the larger Polaroid and had a relationship with them. Well, I never seen anything as amazing as a Polaroid SX70 that 
flattens. And um, so off I went to Guatemala and um, I stayed around Lake Atitlan. This is like in the, I don't know, 1972 or three. And there's nothing there. I don't know what it's like now, but I'm sure it's kind of grown up. But I walked around this enormous lake and there are tribes of indigenous uh, people, beautiful and amazing and friendly people. I just made it, took two days, walked around the entire lake with my SX-70 and tons of film. And everyone I came upon, groups or individuals, I, I took, I would take a picture of them and hand it to them and we would watch it come out and oh my god it was talk about like a relationship i was blown away by the technology but um the indigenous around lake atitlan were, were they'd just never seen it and several about a week or two later when i was kind of moving around the lake a little not circumnavigating but I ran into a few people who had sewn the pictures to their clothing. Oh, and, wow. And it was, uh, but, you know, like now flash forward, you know, uh, years and years and years later, I think the notion of sharing, which is, of course, the notion somewhat of social media, um, of photo streams, um, of just, you know, airdropping photos to each other, um, is is one of the real um, ways for us to discover uh, each other, yeah, both kind of in a small way in terms of our communities, but certainly when we we leave it and go to places that are outside our kind of cultural comfort zone. So, so um, to 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 round this off, I have two two little anecdotes, <clears throat> which. Both revolve around a stereotype that um, that uh, well, I guess we have of of Russia, and that that those are both alcohol related. So um, the first one is we have uh, on one on one of the days our main guide and driver and organizer Anton he um, he all of a sudden went oh my god tomorrow is such and such day. I was like, what, what does that mean? And it turns out it's a, it's a national military armed forces day kind of thing. The Russia is very defined by its military. So they have this day once a year. And, and he said, well, tomorrow we'll probably run into a whole lot of drunk Russians, which is that day is an, is an excuse, apparently, for a lot of Russians to drink and have fun and party. <clears throat> and we ended up not seeing a single drunk Russian. So it was it was one of those, hmm, I'm kind of disappointed to not have that stereotype fulfilled thing. And the other was that um we uh we we have one night we stayed in a in a guest house which had, had little cottages for everyone. And uh we had one shared cottage, like with a shared living room, and uh and uh, one of the drivers couldn't get a place to stay so he had to stay with us in he he on the fold out couch in the in the living room that's where he slept and uh in the evening we we sat together with him and normally the drivers were like okay, yeah they, they kind of mingle but they also they they carry tourists around a lot so it's kind of they also like to stay among themselves sometimes but 
in that case, he was with us and <clears throat> he didn't speak a word of English other than yes and no. And we didn't speak a word of Russian other than yes and no. And uh, he just held up his hands and waved at us to like, wait, wait here, wait here. I'll be back in a minute, which is uh, easy to understand. He took out of the, the living room kitchen area. He took a big, big pod out of the out of the cupboard, went out. We were staying right at the at the edge of the lake. Uh, he went out, came back with that pot full of ice, like fresh ice from the lake. Uh, and then he broke out a big bottle, like a Coke bottle full with uh, clear liquid. And <laughs> we were all getting very worried. And, Sounds and, dangerous. Uh, well, but now now modern technology, we uh, we broke out Google Translate, which has this beautiful conversation mode. So you can turn it, you can set it even offline. You can download like dictionaries and you can set it to translate two languages and it's just waiting for a party to speak and then it translates it and speaks it. So it's like the universal translator. All oh, right, cool. So, uh, so he told us, he just told us that this is gin that he made at home and he showed us and, and we were again being worried someone making alcohol in their home, right? It kind of sounds dangerous. And he, he broke out his smartphone. He showed us pictures of his place and turns out this guy is a master gin maker. So oh, wow. okay. he has, he has, a, he knows everything. He, 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 he's a nerd when it comes to that. He really knows his stuff. And, uh, so we sat there in that living room, working on our photos in front of our laptops, uh, with the best gin tonic that I've ever had. It was so good. It was so yummy. And yeah, so we were sitting there and having this shared moment with Yegor. Yegor is his name, and he was it was brilliant. Um, it was good alcohol, no hangover on the next day. It was <laughs> just wonderful, just a wonderful. Well, now, experience. now I'm really jealous. So it it was it was this again stereotype shattered because. Um, the stereotype is Russians drink vodka, get drunk, and that's it. And of course, that was nothing like that. It was a very enjoyable moment and a very bonding moment at that. You know what they call gin, though, right? What? Vodka with flavor. <laughs> which which it kind of is, but yeah. in a very good when, way. And uh, it's it. He has his own his own still to to get the get everything perfect. So probably uses the local ingredients. Absolutely, local ingredients. Um, yeah. He that that he collects himself and yeah. oh, uh, yes. all organic, all like from from the shores of Lake Baikal, which again is most of that is no man's land. Most of that yeah. is not even doesn't even have roads. So uh, he goes out there in a boat in summer and collects that stuff. It's wow, just that sounds great, mind-bogglingly good. I managed to buy a half half liter bottle. Oh, keep, from him. keep a few glasses for when I'm in Germany. <laughs> I will. I will. <laughs> All right. I think we're at the point to ask, what does that mean for the future of photography? Yeah. Uh, the whole travel thing is, I mean, is changing right now. We're, we're looking at travel. We're looking at CO2. We're looking at the footprint. And uh, uh, while I'm, while I do, uh, while, while I compensate CO2 compensate every single trip I do, every single flight I do. It, this is going to change in the future because I don't think it is really that sustainable over time. So, 
it, 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 it isn't particularly, is it? Um, I mean, just just a, a, a news anecdote or a news item. Um, here in the UK, there's been a massive argument brewing for years and years and years about where to put another runway around London airports. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the plan was to put a th- to build a third runway at Heathrow. Um, and that plan was overturned uh just in the last week as we record this um, oh really it was overturned because it was uh decided i forget which court but the court decided that the people proposing it had unlawfully not completed all of the climate impact assessments there you go there you go so so the the one thing i'm okay so the future photography i think we had a few points here regarding cameras regarding non-threatening cameras and i think um, we can all agree that smartphones are either there already or on the best way to replace a lot of the travel photo gear um, for at least certain contexts, especially when people are involved. Um, the other thing I, I briefly wanted to touch on is things like remote presence. Um, it, before we recorded this, uh, Jeremiah, you said something about um, you wish you could have been on that tour, but uh, you'll just recreate it yourself. What did you mean by that? <laughs> I can um, basically using uh, a, a bevy of uh, software applications. Um, I will. How about this for a challenge? I will attempt to recreate closely one of your photos. Absolutely. Oh, that's how's that? That is that uh, is a self-imposed challenge. That is yeah, good. I'm that not sure I'm 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 up to the task, but and it could look like uh, the worst kind of machine learning, <laughs> but but you know, like oh, a child's drawing of a lake or but something. Can, can can I choose the photo or will you choose? No, it no, I'm going to choose the one with the. <laughs> Fewest biomes and the simplest okay. composition. The, the, but, take the uh, first one of that album I shared. That's, yes, they're uh, beautiful, by the way. Beautiful, beautiful. I've been looking Thank at you. them as we've been talking. They're great. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I've been looking at well. some fantastic stuff By the stuff way, there. could I say it, that if there is uh, some kind of um, evolution in terms of the future of photography and s- studying or engaging, experiencing cultures um, different than ours, then it would be to increase the amount of ease uh, in which we can share. Mm-hmm. Like Definitely. making, making and- sharing just absolutely like air, like shaking hands or bowing to each other. That would be so- something. So, so replacing travel with um, at least part of the travel with other things in the future. Um, the one thing that comes to mind is things like, I mean, we're generally calling this remote presence. Um, things like, uh, like uh, VR, um, AR, that kind of, at least to a certain extent, can transport us to different places. Um, we're not there yet, right? I mean. Last time I, I, I was at a different place in air quotes at a different place in a VR headset. <clears throat> I was still uh, very aware that I'm still in my living room and I'm still um, not there. But uh, at the same time, there was a semblance of being there um, by being able to look around you in a in a video and see people go about their lives uh, <sighs> as if you were there. But uh, what do you think? How long is it going to take until that can fully replace something? Well, I have an idea. Mm-hmm. It just came to me as you were speaking. It, you you create a service, and that service is 
okay, we're going to take a complete 360 uh, VR camera with our own high-speed satellite and <laughs> wire them together. You just tell us where, where on the map you want us to go. Okay, now they're there. Now you have full access in 8K, say, to all the images. Like, could you move a little bit forward, you know, move down 40 feet? Oh, yeah, that's good. And you capture all the images. Just send send the lenses out. So it's a, pro a proxy proxy travel kind of thing. Yeah, maybe well, that's folks, the you first heard it step. First, <laughs> yeah. uh, we're Can... taking money in for the startup. <laughs> it's a service we offer. Well, you pay I, us, I, we just. I don't think it's too far off. I mean, I I, either I, it's possible, right? I still have this thing in my mind about uh, the future becoming photographic archaeology, where you have this vast pool of of um, visuals from everywhere, from all angles, and you can just dig out whatever you exactly, need. Exactly, yes. Uh, you know, where people are making art from Google Maps and, Google, you know, Google World and all of that. Um, the, the kind of notion that you're talking about is, yeah, if you could tap into every camera, you know, basically in the universe. and uh, yeah, Let's those not talk about were... privacy here, right? <laughs> no, uh, no, 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 oh, oh, no. Oh, fun. Oh, fun. So no, oh, no, no. By that time, we've given up all semblance of privacy. Uh, which well, we're we're on the edge. I think right I'm going to propose an alternative future for photography because I don't <laughs> like that. That one sounds dull, to be honest. I think that I think the future of photography in this sense is very closely linked to the future of energy and energy management and climate. Um, you know, so, you know, the, the, the technology improvements that are coming on in leaps and bounds in, in renewable energy and sustainable energy, I think is what will, will, will become a ever increasing part of, of travel to, uh, and especially, you know, uh, all sorts of things to do with photography. I think, um, uh, I think the, the, the thing that's missing, the puzzle piece that's missing for me at the moment is, is the investment in, uh, sustainable transport infrastructure if that makes any sense as a phrase you know um it, the ability to get a train to africa you know from from central europe perhaps uh, hyperloop we're talking hyperloop <laughs> or something along those lines well yeah. it, 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 potentially i hadn't gone that far i was thinking uh, but but uh, you know uh, maybe, maybe that's the step after the train but whatever whatever the the, the transportation method is i think that the, the there's clearly a need if, if people are going to keep traveling to, to invest in you know um, transcontinental infrastructure for these things to allow people to travel those distances i mean i think people people will choose to travel less possibly because that kind of travel is much is likely to take much longer than flying um, but I, i'd like to think there's a future where we can still do travel photography and we can still travel for fun just in a more sustainable way so so that's the that's what i'm voting for <laughs> zeppelins Zeppelins, yeah, they yeah. are the next big thing. Um, I I think the whole remote presence thing for me hinges on uh, on that gin drinking experience in the evening. Um, if we, if the moment we can replicate that, the moment we can have remote gin tonic sessions, then uh, yeah, then we're good. Be, then we're good. Then we're good. I think. All right. Um, I, I think we'll 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 move on to the picks of the week. For this week. Gentlemen, have you brought us something? Well, I, I brought something in honor of your trip. Oh, which, wow. which is a an article. And and if if the listeners are not really aware of John Beasley Green, 
Uh, he's an amazing photographer. Now, this is a guy who hauled his cameras into Egypt in, you know, 1850s and, and was working with salt prints. Now, now, just imagine the gear that he had to carry crazy. Crazy. Um, and where he had to go and the conditions uh, in which he had to set his cameras up and and uh, his work is spectacular and some of it has been on on view with the getty here but uh it it's really amazing and i've i've recreated some of them on my own website not his pictures but in the style of his pictures um but i i'm very impressed with him and uh, that is one of the earliest form of of uh, travel photography that's aesthetically amazing very I'm just looking at the website. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Mm. Uh, well, I'm afraid to say, Chris, I've brought some self, self excuse me, some shameless self promotion. It's <laughs> fine <laughs> because, uh, well, well the, the, this this podcast will be released on uh, the 11th of March, um, which is a Wednesday, as we release on Wednesday every week, uh, and on the Saturday of this week, if you're listening to it fresh, um, at the photography show live at the National Exhibition Centre in in Birmingham in the UK, uh, there will be a live recording of the sunny 16 podcast yeah uh, yeah okay so uh that involves things like headset mics so we can all pretend to be madonna um it involves i think a a panel conversation there might even be a, a little game show element to it as well <laughs> and lot, lots of shaking hands and hand sanitizer the, oh, yes yeah. abs- absolutely um it's uh there'll definitely there'll definitely be plenty of hand sanitizer i think every, everybody's going to be bringing their own to, to something like that given where we are with with viruses that are also doing travel at the moment um so uh but yeah the, the, I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes um and uh it'd be good to uh uh, it would be good for if people want to come along. Uh, you can register because there are there are limited seats for this, uh, so you can pre-register and uh, make sure that you are able to come and see it. And it'd be great to see everybody. There we go. Wonderful. There, there's my wonderful promotion stuff. <laughs> that is totally fine. Uh, I brought you something um, by a historian James Ryan, who's on Twitter and who every now and then picks out a snippet from a publication somewhere. And this one is uh, from 19. 19- 106 uh, titled the camera cannot make art i don't know the context exactly where it is from but um here's what it reads and let me read that to you my quarrel is not with mr leach who does not maintain that a machine can create art but with the so-called artistic photographers who claim it can in the slang of the studios when a man feels the thing he is no longer uh, he's looking at Wooded hills or, or, or your mother's wrinkled face or the rubbish along the city dump, for that matter. When these things arouse certain emotions within him, he is artistic. And when, furthermore, with pencil or paint, he can reproduce that bit of nature in a way that makes you feel some of his emotions. He is an artist and his reproduction is art. Not because Tolstoy, another literary critic, says so, but in spite of it, to produce this art, he has composed arranged, rearranged, selected. There can never be art without selection, and he has done it all with a certain amount of technical skill. But the camera cannot feel 
compose, arrange or select it. So the resultant photograph never can have even the remotest connection with art. <laughs> There you go. 1906, how times have changed. <laughs> and still yeah. people and still people say the same things about new developments. Yes. yes, indeed. Yes. 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 <laughs> anyway, um, that was okay. it for this episode of the Future of Photography. Uh, you can, of course, get in contact over Twitter, TFOPNOW, on our website, on our Instagram account, TFOPNOW. Our uh, website is thefutureofphotography.com, and we'd love to hear from you. And we'll be back in a week. Until then, everyone, take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. been listening to The Future of Photography, a production by Adrian Stock and Chris Marquardt. Subscribe to the show wherever you get your other podcasts. Find the show notes and more information at thefutureofphotography.com. Music